You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and these are Dan Baer's interviews with the star from Daisy Jones and the Six, Suki Waterhouse, the costume designer, Denise Wingate, and the music supervisor, Frankie Pine. I don't even know why we're doing this. It's not a duet. Billy, you wrote a good song, not a great one. Did you guys want to record something or fight more? I'm fine either way. Okay, let's get this uh, started. This is Honeycomb. Take one. Can I ask you a question? What do you think the song's about? What do I think the song is about? What the song yeah, that what I wrote? What about? do I think the song that I wrote is about? It's about starting a new life. Welcome, everyone, to the Next Best Picture podcast, where we are talking with Suki Waterhouse from Hi. Daisy Jones and the Six. Hi, Suki. Thank you so Hi, much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to be able to talk to you. Oh, it's a pleasure to be talking to you. A lot of people I know have been obsessed with this show since it came out, and I'm one of them. <laughs> um oh. I, I have to ask, you know, this was a best-selling book prior to becoming this series. Did you read the book before you had heard about this project at all? Yeah, so I think I really started off as a Daisy Jones, like, fan. Like, really, really as, like, a true fan. I read the book um, the summer before I even knew that there was going to be a TV show. And um, I remember like, I, yeah, I, it was it was one of those books where like I couldn't like no one could speak to me or or like I was like, I'm contactable for like the next few days. And then I was mm-hmm. just I was one of those people that was just Googling, you know, where is where is Daisy Jones now? What has happened with Daisy Jones? And oh, yeah. it was really like I hadn't read a book like that, that um, that that put you that put you so much in in the world. I loved how. I loved how there was like I, I felt like I was so inside of everyone's perspectives as a group, mm-hmm. which is such a rare thing to be like so invested in every single member and even the side characters, yeah. even people that like you know don't don't get um, like a, a, a lot of airtime. You just feel you just you just felt like you knew that world so much. So I just could not mm-hmm. believe that they weren't a real band. I thought wow. <laughs> There's like big gaps in my music knowledge, which I thought was <laughs> pretty decent. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's how that's how I um that's how yeah I, I I caught on as a as a fan, and then I remember um going into my agent's office, and I saw this. I saw they have like a bunch of uh you know like they have a big board, and they put stuff in felt tip pen, and they they had like a Daisy Jensen the Six board, and I was like. Okay, like how we (laughs) how we gonna go around this? And yeah, it's not it's not very often where I'm like where I'm like you know I will be very very upset (laughs) if if uh, if we don't if we don't pursue this. And I and I went to um I remember going to I went to my first audition with Kim and Justine, who um I have a good relationship with because they they actually cast me in the Bad Batch years Mm. ago. They're such they're such lovely casting directors. Yeah. They really are. And um, and I went in and I think I auditioned for Daisy first. And then I auditioned for Karen, who they'd made English mm-hmm. for the TV show, which obviously was a great thing for me. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which I was going to ask if you like gravitated towards Karen immediately when you read it or was it something I thought that... she was the coolest character I mean yeah. she is yeah 
<laughs> I definitely thought she was the coolest character. I remember going to one of like, I mean, I did a bunch of auditions and I remember one of the auditions that I did with Will, I think it was the final audition. I think I was very worried about them not seeing me as like a brunette, which but, mm. you know they were very like is she Karen Karen has to have be a brunette and I was worried if like they would you know kind of not not see me as that type so I I dyed my hair brown with like a spray bottle before before going in oh, there and no. I was working with uh, <sighs> I, I did the scene with with Will um Will Harrison who's uh who played Graham and he'd been cast before me and uh and Riley was in the room as well so it was actually it was quite unusual to have um kind of like a bunch of you know two mm-hmm. two of your contemporaries in the room with you and and uh yeah and and then yeah anyway this is like a hair story then they, they ended up changing they ended up not even wanting me to have brown hair in the end because <laughs> no one had blonde hair but there was yeah there was there was, mo- there was a lot of um there was a lot of there was yeah there was a, a lot of kind of like touch and go in the in the auditions and I think like when when I got the part I remember everyone was so excited to have got the part but there was there was this really you know we felt like we had the world on our shoulders because it was made very clear to us like you know you're going to be in the audition you're going to be in the studio for the next four Mm -hmm. months before we start shooting and like it was kind of felt like you better be able to do you know this this music stuff <laughs> like yeah, wow. for anyone who I lied mean, on their resume under the special oh skills God, section oh, you will be find out <laughs> well it was more you know it was it, I kind of it was the first I mean it was the first time for me especially to do with an acting role where it was like oh you have this huge undertaking and I guess I guess I I mean I said to them I was like the the one thing I know I can do is like I know I you know I I know I can just not do anything else and just focus on this like nothing else like not leave the house it was like evening practice like completely forget forget doing anything else and um and like it yeah it was it was cool because if you do focus like that I think it was a nice thing to be able to 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 know for myself that I could I could go from really knowing like five chords to like playing like Bach pieces <laughs> I mean it's incredible you know like the whole cast went basically went to band camp to mm-hmm. learn the instruments and the specific music for the show you've worked as a recording artist before did you find this part easy or difficult or were you like think, yeah what was right. that process <laughs> I think it was, it became more than, I think the beautiful thing about it is it became more than a job. And especially as we worked on this for like three years, I remember, I remember watching the the Joy Division movie and, and uh, yeah. I knew, I know, I know one of the producers and he was like, oh, you're going to be, you're going to be so messed up by the end of this. Like when you do your <laughs> last performance as a band and I'm like, really? Because I remember he was saying that, that, you know, they, they were all sobbing and that is how I felt by the end of it it was just it just like became yeah it became so much more than a job I mean you we were doing it for for years like we couldn't really remember like a time before <laughs> you know we went through and we went through a lot together as as, as you do for mm-hmm. our, our three years like a, you know there's so much um there's so much kind of like growing growing up and and changes that happen in people's lives like um when we look at when we look at pictures of us when we got cast now we're like oh we're you know we look like a bunch of like puppies (laughs) well they say it can change a person 
One of the most striking scenes on the show uh, for me is when Karen tells Camilla without saying a single word that she's pregnant and unhappy about it. I'm wondering what your thoughts were about this scene initially, especially having read the book Mm. and how you and Camilla Maroney built that moment together because it's so incredible that communication that you two have. Yeah, I mean, I think um, we we became we became really good friends out of the show. I get and I feel like in in a way actually that I probably probably hasn't been as strong before. I think Mm. Um, like yeah, I kind of I kind of feel like I have like a little bit of a a big sister role in in her life in a way. But she also has she's yeah she she's also like. She, she she also just has actually like an incredibly strong and very strong like she's you know she's an incredibly strong woman she's very she's she's amusing she's stubborn like she has she has a lot of like Camilla qualities that I really admire mm. um and we have I think we, we yeah we we've kind of like built this friendship in real life that feels like yeah we both kind of have qualities that um each other like kind of lacks I don't know it's 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 a really it's a really nice dynamic so we had um yeah I think I think it was so I think really that moment is built in kind of women's like a kind of the intuition that women have with each other in in those kinds of friendships and um I love that I I love that moment because I, I I love I love like the differences like kind of I love how different all the women are in the show and kind of like the mm-hmm. the respect and love that they have for each other. I mean, for for Camilla, like she's so mother nature. She's you know she she loves she she always wanted to have. I don't know. She's just like very very. She really eases into like that motherhood role, and she's like very happy for that to be like kind of like her one of her key purposes in in life. And for me, for Karen, it just feels so trapping for her I think I think the idea of kind of the 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 idea of being a mother is it feels yeah it feels so trapping in the circumstances that she's in where she has worked so hard to 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 be at this point where she can be in a band and I think Karen's like through line for me is that she always wanted to be in this band she's she doesn't get off that bus in the end it's her and Warren like they you know she she wanted to be making music for forever so um I I yeah I kind of I guess I thought about it and I you know being being like a woman around that age as well where where it's like you start you know you start to kind of feel that like pressure yourself I also thought about I also thought pretty hard about the fact that I don't I like I kind of went back and forth but I'm like I don't I don't know if Karen never wanted to have children I just think that she didn't want to have to give up yeah. her position in this band at that time. So, you know, yeah, I also was like, you know, I, look, I looked at women like, like Stevie Nicks and Chris, Chrissy McVie and like ne- neither of, neither of them ever had children. And I don't know, I don't know if it was, I think, I think Stevie said it was a regret of hers, but it's not necessarily that they didn't want, want to have them. I think it was just, it's just, you know, you work so hard to 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 build this life that you 
you know that you've built out of nothing and um yeah I I kind I, I kind of yeah I don't know it, it, it kind of, it's, it's ongoing this, this stuff because like now I don't know I, I I like look at women in the music industry now and you just think like you watch Rihanna at the Super Bowl and, yeah. you know, it's like she's so it's so um it's so celebrated I guess yeah. when you you know and and I do and I do think we have like a really different relationship to the idea of being a working woman and having children now I think it I, th- I think at, at least like kind of like in 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 a in the, the way that people see it is I guess like much more kind of like empowering whereas I don't I, th- I think there was just so much more of like a societal choice that you had to make right you felt you had to make back then but yeah it does uh, yeah it, it that the the issue of like working and 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 being and being a mother at the mm-hmm. same time it's just it just never goes away for women it's just going to be here all the time <laughs> one of those eternal <laughs> dilemmas yeah 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 um similarly to that one there's another really striking wordless moment that you have um with will harrison's graham at that final concert where you two are sort of like looking at each other across the whole giant stage how did you make that moment so intimate feeling when you're in this gigantic space and so far apart from each other yeah i think i think we like we our relationship was like one of the like that was that was like the yeah that was like such a special relationship for me to build on camera i got i feel like i got so i just felt so lucky to be able to work yeah. with him this was will's first job that he'd ever done he's incredible just, he just came out of, he just came out of school i think someone heard about him and he went in to see the casting directors and just booked it straight away and now he's just been working nonstop i just i just like i just don't think he could have been cast any better it was just such a I'll just yeah I could go on like well well Harrison I could lo- love train but um uh I think yeah I, th- I think I think like there were so many things like in my mind at that time I always I kind of when I thought about like uh Graham like it's like he doesn't he's like the sweet misogynist like he doesn't mm. he doesn't really like like he's he's so heartbreaking and you want to love him yeah. so much and, and especially like at you know in the 70s he just he doesn't there's no concept like and she's so angry with him too I think she's so angry for for him to suggest that she should leave the band and like give up give up like give up anything and also like throughout the show it's like she you know she she, she kind of she kind of always was very upfront about yeah that you know that she didn't want this to be a serious thing it's like classic thing when you're seeing somebody and they yeah <laughs> and you're like I don't want this to be serious and then it's like no it's serious and then yeah and I and and she and I think and I think she doesn't expect to to fall really I think she she didn't expect to fall in love with him so much and be and 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 you know that that to be kind of like, I, th- I think the love of the like kind of one of the loves of her life yeah so yeah I think I think it was mix it was a mix of um that yeah fr- frustration and she's she's angry but she, she, her heart is also completely wide open and everything is also falling around her and I think like for, for me I, I I felt like I was do, I was doing something 
for him that was greater than like if I could if I would have stayed for him I was kind of like I was setting him free and I was like yeah I I, I broke it apart because we both ultimately had to like live different lives mm-hmm. And it's so sad and so heartbreaking, but so beautiful, too. (laughs) We're coming up on all the time we have. So I wanted to do a few, like, quick, like, speed round questions. Oh, God. Okay. With you. Okay. So favorite outfit that you wore? Ooh, favorite outfit. Um, Oh, my God. There were so many. Just Denise Wingate was literally the most incredible costume. (laughs) It was it was beyond I love I really I actually love my final episode outfit I was wearing like a black yes. top and the black um and the black trousers um I had a lot of uh, like st- stunning jumpsuits okay these aren't quick I, I have a lot <laughs> that's fine <laughs> what was your favorite song to play in the band I think it was probably let me down easy. Okay. Yeah. And your favorite song to listen to? I th- I'm such a River fan. <laughs> River. Yes. And that song actually came in later. Um, oh. that, that song was not, yeah, because because we were making the record as we were like rehearsing. It was like mm. the, the different songs would come along all the time, and then I think they dropped another one, and that one got written while while we were sh- while we were kind of uh, making the record like quite late into the process and it was like whoa okay we this suddenly became our favorite it might just be like our favorite because we'd played all the other ones so much <laughs> yeah <laughs> crazy at that point <laughs> that can happen so you know in bands in any groups larger than like three little clicks form right mm-hmm. so who were the best friends of Daisy Jones and the Six. I think me and me and uh, me and Will, yeah, we, we were like we were like best friends. We would be like going off and like playing each other music, and like we would go and like find a little spot and watch a show together, and like we just yeah, we 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 were just we kind of like had a, we 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 formed a really nice relationship. So I think we were best we were best friends, and then I think Riley, Riley and Sam are both incredibly goofy and and. <laughs> Sam is kind of like you know very kind of like together sort of like Hugh Grant hype and then when it when it gets to like night shoots beyond 4am he has such a goofy silly side like he's he's just got like the best the best energy to carry carry everyone forward they were they were really very they were like our very goofy just wonderful leaders Riley and Sam (laughs) I love that too and what was the most difficult scene to shoot? Most difficult scene, well, they had me and Will go out into the sea. Um, and there was there was like storms. We had to go back there twice. Oh, no. and that, that was to do sort of like a flirting scene. And mm-hmm. it was so cold. I mean, it was so cold. I think most most scenes usually in the water, like you film the sea and then you maybe go and do it in a pool. But this was... Um, this was out in <laughs> in LA and it was just it was just so cold and there was that yeah there was storms and we sort of had to be had to be brought in and I just I was genuinely a little bit worried about Will. He was he was completely blue in the face. Oh fit. no. I was up on the surfboard and he was he was delivering his line so beautifully, but, but I was like, 
Yeah, I was concerned. <laughs> that was probably the most difficult. <laughs> and final question, will you surf again? Will I surf again? Of course, yeah. but not, I don't know about in LA. Unless it, unless it, I, but I definitely will surf again. I'm, I'm an okay surfer. Yeah. I did. Yeah, we, we did. We did. We did. Me and Will also did surfing lessons together. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. So you learned a lot on this movie. I learned a I lot. I love that. I really expanded my skill set. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's what it's all about. Suki Waterhouse. Thank you so much for joining us. You've been a delight. Thank you so much, Daniel. It's lovely to speak to you. Thanks. Best of luck. Thank you. Bye. It's about dreaming of something different. Baby, baby, baby. Do you know who you are? Don't stop. I wanted to tell yeah, Daisy, you. Daisy, look, we don't need to argue. I was just going to say that I love the sound of your voice. We unraveled a long time ago. We lost and we couldn't let it go. Oh my God. Your first single. And it hits number one. How do you top that? When you're making an album, it's an intimate thing. It has to be. I've never seen him smile this much in his life. Welcome, everyone, to the Next Best Picture podcast, where we are talking with Denise Wingate, the costume designer for Daisy Jones and the Six. Denise, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Daniel. Very excited. I am very excited as well. Um, Daisy Jones and the Six is such a fun series to watch and it really feels like we're reliving the 60s and 70s um, while we're watching it and so much of that is the costumes and it's interesting because working on something like this you both have to recreate this era but also capture these specific people at this very specific point in time so how did you approach that for this project well, I think that the, the, from reading the book, because it reads like a documentary for people who haven't read the book, um, I, I really wanted it to be realistic. So I treated it from a documentarian standpoint as far as um, the costumes went. I did a lot of research. I watched a lot of documentaries, a lot of photo shoot, you know, photo, photo books and behind the scenes for rock bands. Um, so I really treated it like that. I wanted to, to do a deep dive on what was real and I didn't want it to look costumey. I didn't want it to look like people were dressing up to go to a 1970s Halloween party. And, you know, some of the, some of the movies I watched that depicted the seventies seemed so over the top and garishly bright. And it just, mm. it seemed I just wanted it to look real. And I and, and also at the same time still very fashionable. So I think I think we achieved that. I spent a lot of time trying to curate the look and make it make it look, you know, fantastic and real <laughs> at the same time. Well, it shows that I think it does come across. Something that I found was really interesting while doing research for this is that you actually worked as a stylist on tour for the Bengals when you were younger. <laughs> That's so it, it cool. Was one of my early, <laughs> it was an early job. I was in my early 20s and mm -hmm. and it was actually so much fun. I mean, I got to travel the world. I was on a tour bus for, for a year. And it was, I think also because having done that and being born and raised in LA and being a club kid and going to all mm -hmm. the clubs that, that you read about in the book or see in the show, 
I just felt like this really spoke to me. I felt like I knew these people. I knew this, this world. And I mean, traveling with a band, it's not glamorous, but I was so young. I, I didn't care. I had a really good time. It was, it was a lot of fun. I don't know if I could do it now at this age, but, but I was really, really happy to do it when I was younger. It was a great experience for sure. And I think it yeah. helped too. I think it helped. I, I just knew like when we were shooting all the backstage stuff and all the, I just knew the whole world. So that was really, uh, I think that's something I could bring to the look. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask was how that experience informed your work on the show. How did it help with creating the looks for these characters while they're touring? Well, it's interesting because it's a different era. I, I was with the Bangles in the early 80s. And obviously this goes, you know, to like 1978. But I was yeah. still in like a 1970s kid. Right. Uh, so I knew the world and I just feel like because having traveled with a band, it was just helpful. It it was helpful in, in even dressing like the background, the roadies and the stagehands. I just knew it. It was, uh, I, I don't know. I, I read the book and I mm -hmm. said, I have to do this. I know I can nail this. I know this yeah. world. And and you know, being born and raised here, I think, helped too. In California back mm -hmm. then, a certain sensibility. We didn't have the internet. We didn't even have MTV. So no. it, it was a very, it was a very specific time. And having grown up here, I just felt like it was in my, it was in my blood. Yeah, that's so cool. Like every once in a while, that perfect project just comes along, you know, and it's magical. It a while. And, yeah, <laughs> right. But finally. Well, that's the thing. Like, I mean, I've been doing this 30 years and it's not often I read scripts all the time and I like, oh, this is a good script. This will be fun. And this, I, I read the book and it just spoke to me. It was, it was electric and it, yeah. that just doesn't happen. I mean, could, this could be like the, the once in a lifetime project for me. And if it, if it is, then it was, then I'm super happy. I can, <laughs> I can retire feeling like I have, uh, I have hit the height of my, my career. Of course. Goal. Yeah. And, you know, it was interesting. It was really difficult shooting obviously during COVID, mm -hmm. but in retrospect, it, it really helped us because it allowed me more yeah. time with the actors. That was going to be one of my questions was, you know, production was interrupted because of COVID. And I was curious at what point in your work in the series did that occur? And how were you able to take advantage of that interruption at all? It was, you know, we were about four weeks out from shooting uh, in in you know when march the dreaded friday the 13th of march happened and and we and and literally we were like okay it'll just be a couple weeks until i can get a handle on this and nobody had any idea that we were gonna it was just gonna turn into this catastrophic event but i was just like okay i'm just gonna move forward i know i'm coming back i don't care how long it takes i know i'm coming back i'm gonna work off salary i'm gonna buy stuff online and when things started opening up i i was at thrift, thrift stores all over from san francisco to palm springs i went to flea markets every weekend and i just carried on i just marched on it was like, i'm gonna keep doing my job and i know that I, I just kept amassing things and but it did give me time to to really curate the look and and I look back now, interestingly enough, on the very first fittings I did with the entire cast back then in January and February of 2020 to what we actually shot. And it's completely different. So, yeah, wow. and the actors could get into how they were performing and how they moved. And 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 it was like this. You could you could really mine these characters and, and every fitting became better and better and better. And mm. we could edit it was it was a real um it was a gift. I hate to say yeah. something because it wasn't a gift. Well, yeah. 
It's making lemons out of lemonade, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And then, you know, it was difficult while we were shooting as well because of COVID and, and the, dealing with so many background people. And mm-hmm. and it was still a very tenuous time. But I think that we all just rose to the occasion. Everybody became very, very close. Everybody on the production, the cast. So it felt like this little family, uh, this little pod. Of- just like the band. <laughs> Band. I was part of the band, man. <laughs> That's how um, I felt. <laughs> I, I'm curious, you know, like, how much did you work with the actors on creating their characters' look? Because I've heard that you specifically collaborated with Riley Keough on Daisy's look, but was that something I, that happened with everybody or? Did it, you it know? Actually, I have to say, I, I mean, first of all, I am the ultimate collaborator with everybody. I believe that you, filmmaking is a team sport, and the only way you can win is if you win as a team. And I'm very open to collaboration with the with our amazing cinematographer, our production designer. So, but you have to earn the trust of an actor. Um, it's a very intimate. Uh, situation when you're with an actor I mean you're standing there they're naked in front of you you have to have this level of trust and it take that sometimes takes time and what I did originally for every single actor even even minor ones not just our top top group um, is I created boards and I had done so much visual research but that by the time they came in to meet me for the first time I had these inspiration boards so they it's almost like I had done the work for them to see like what we could do, where this character could be. And then, then in turn, they use that as a platform to say, I nice. really like this. I, you know, sh- this speaks to me. Maybe this doesn't. And, and then we could, um, it, it, it was a starting point. And then they could bring their own ideas. And, and I have to say, working with, with Sebastian, who plays Warren, the drummer, he's like a full on peacock. And, and then he just became more and more elaborate. And then it just, you know, then we realized he's the best guy. The best. Best. The best. The best. Guy. And how it grows into the coat later. It's <laughs> exactly. It's great. I Until you're in like a full length fox, you know, fur. <laughs> it's incredible. Um, And that leads me to actually the next thing was how everyone's style evolves over time and it's in very subtle ways how did you when going about like you know figuring out the character's wardrobe you know were you thinking of like pieces that they had from earlier and pieces that they get and how they mix and match or was it really about creating a look In a world infatuated with comic fandom comes a show to help us remember the talents that have inspired us. Whoa, 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 cut. Oh, Uh, come on. It wasn't that bad. It's a bit dramatic. Let's just tell them about the show, guys. We are the Canned Air Podcast. Join us weekly for a comedic trip through pop culture. We also welcome some cool comic creators, as well as some of the voice and screen actors that help shape your childhood. Find us on cannedairpodcast.com and on the Evergreen Podcast Network. I think it was a little of both, but you also, mm. if you figure we, we went from the sixties to the nineties with the, yeah. with the actors playing themselves, like we had to, we, there had to be an arc and you had to see where they came from and where they, where they end up. And, you know, the only people that you, Graham and Billy pretty much stay the same. They keep their Pittsburgh <laughs> roots. Which we always wanted. And I modeled Sam. I mean, my, all my boards for Sam was only Bruce Springsteen. Like Bruce okay. Springsteen, 70s, 80s, and 90s. I'm like, this is your arc. 
Bruce. And, you know, Bruce in the 70s was very cool. Like he had a yeah. great style, but his style's never really changed. He's yeah. always stayed true to that. So, so except for, for the Dunn brothers, everybody else had had a bit of an arc and you could see the change. And, mm-hmm. and for Riley, we had to make her look young. Like she would be a 17-year-old girl, 16-year-old girl hanging out on the strip. So I think we worked with hair and makeup and did braids and the little cutoff shorts with cowboy boots. And then she morphs into to something a little more glamorous and outrageous later. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was fun. It was fun trying to figure that out. And the same with, with uh, Camilla, we started out as like young Ally McGraw in love story back okay. in yeah. with her parents. <laughs> and then it morphs into Bianca Jagger. So I certainly had inspirations um, and I was inspired by walls were covered with images and I was constantly inspired by that. And, and I would see mm-hmm. these great, and then I would see an outfit and I would just make it. If I couldn't find something similar, I would just yeah. make it. And then again, Riley, we were very good about texting images. And Riley had sent me this photo of Cher in this Navajo fur jacket. It's like a Uh, Navajo blanket. And she's like, I love this. I'm like, great, let's make it. And so we made it. So so I have a really great seamstress uh, named Rosa Medina, who's been with me for 20 years. And she um, she was because of COVID, she was in her own little atelier offsite. She never knew the actors, but she was making stuff for me all the time. And so it was really great. We were we were lucky. It's fantastic. Knowing that this was an Amazon Prime series, were you thinking at all while making it about like people are going to want to buy these looks and how can we sort of facilitate that? Or like, were you really just thinking of like, how can we make the best look before these characters, even if we have to just make it? You know, I don't, I, I ne- to me, it's all about the work. Mm-hmm. It's like head down, think about the work. I wasn't thinking about anything, not thinking about any of the after effect, if it would have any influence mm-hmm. on fashion today. Um, and I worked closely with, there were some contemporary brands um, that, mm-hmm. that I also worked with because I didn't care. I wanted to create a look. And if it looked like it was part of the seventies, great. I mean, if I, if, if, if I felt it looked right, then it looked right. And um, so free people, um, Amazon had called me and said, do you want to work with free people? And I'm like, I love free people. Their stuff is great. And I was already using some bits I had found from flea markets from them anyway. And mm-hmm. so they came, they gave me a bunch of stuff and it was perfect for the show. And then they ended up doing a line with Amazon, which I didn't have any involvement in creating the line. But it, they were so nice to me and they were very complimentary to me and they cl- included me in their website and they were, so it was, they could have made the line anyway and not even mentioned me. It didn't matter. I didn't, they could have done their own thing, yeah. but they were really, really lovely to work with. And they were, um, so that was a good, again, I'm an incredibly collaborative person. So mm-hmm. I just feel like all the collaboration just makes everything look better. It's um, so great so when that works out. Yeah. yeah, it was a great experience. And sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes like a studio will want you to do a deal with somebody and you're like, it's not right for the show. I don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but this just was a perfect. And, and this is the first time I've worked with, with Amazon and they were amazing, amazing. And I worked really, really closely with Hello Sunshine, Lauren Neustadter, who runs Hello Sunshine. Mm-hmm. She was like my partner. She was in on all the fittings. She saw all the photos. And, and again, like collaborative Everybody knew what I was doing, so there were no surprises. And there wasn't one, over 1,500 costumes. There was one costume that came out and we were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) But that's incredible. Like That's a lot. (laughs) It was a lot. It was a lot, but everybody knew what I was doing. I was completely Mm -hmm. transparent and had an open door policy. So it wasn't like there were any surprises. I was very, very um, good about 
uh, having you know everybody know what what was going on at all times. Mm-hmm. And I, I also hadn't done television since Melrose Place in 1992, so it was a bit of a it was a bit a of shock. a shock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a lot more scenes than in a movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Over this, 10 well, this episodes. felt like a 10 hour movie, quite frankly. Yeah. It didn't feel like a television series mm. per se. It felt like a 10 hour movie. Mm. So, 1500 costumes. What was your personal favorite? Yeah, that's like asking who your favorite is. I know. It's like a, I, know, I, know. I know it's. But. It's so hard, <laughs> it's so hard because what? I love, you know, there were outfits mm-hmm. of Teddy's I love. There were outfits of Simone's yeah. I love. Every single actor had a, I had a favorite outfit. Okay. I loved this white suit that I made for Eddie. I loved all of Sebastian's stuff. And, and and Riley had so many outfits. And I personally, my personal style, you know, Karen was my spirit animal. I loved all okay. her little androgynous glam stuff. And then and then Cammy, like every time she put on an outfit, it was perfect. You know, her outfit coming from the airport was just yeah. It was perfect. So I guess <laughs> if I had to pick one, it would be it would be um Daisy's finale outfit, the gold Halston pleated cape. And because it looked so hard to argue with that. Yeah. <laughs> I read in an interview that you realized when you were putting Daisy in these flowy outfits, she looked like a butterfly, which is so interesting because it's the one like costume shot that's not a performance piece that I remember being like, oh my God, there's this shot of her in Greece where she's in this like very flowy peasant dress that it f- should feel quintessentially daisy. It's long and flowy, but it almost feels like it's restrictive in a way that these other things weren't. Were you thinking about the difference in her character at all when you were doing the Greece section? Or was it just what were people wearing in Greece? Well, I'll be honest with you, Daniel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I um, broke my ankle in Greece really badly a week no. before shooting. Yeah, so um, it was. It, it, I wasn't really thinking about anything. <laughs> I was about how I was going to finish the show, and also <laughs> we did all of the nightclub scenes. All of Simone's seventies nightclub scenes were shot mm. in Greece, so they were. We had so many things oh, going. Wow. And all of the at Daisy's house in Greece, the only way I could get there was on a mule with my cast. So it was. Luckily, I had already um i had already amassed these beautiful uh caftans and then i had a, a, a seamstress in greece that was making beautiful things for me too they have beautiful fabrics in greece and beautiful mm-hmm. clothes there i wish i i wish i could have really gotten deeper into to uh finding great pieces but i think it looks beautiful again i don't mm-hmm. i don't regret anything any of the choices there i thought they were all really beautiful it was such a beautiful place so that that was my greece <laughs> saga <laughs> Well, thank you. Thank you so much for talking with us, Denise. And we're out of time, but thank you so much for all these costumes. I know that all of my friends who have seen the series are like, they're obsessed with it. They want to look like everybody. It's Everything is so covetable. So thank you for putting together such a covetable look. Oh, Daniel, thank you so much. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me as well. And I'm glad that I'm glad that you like it. Thank you. Okay, have a great day. Daniel, enjoy your hours. You too, Denise. (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs) Bye. It's what people want to see. It's an act. You know that. Tell me that there's nothing going on between us. Tell me if I'm crazy. If you love her. I don't. Well, if you ever do, that is when this ends.
time to add a little fire? Don't overthink it. I'm the fire. Welcome to the next Best Picture podcast, where we are talking with Frankie Pine, the music supervisor for Daisy Jones and the Six. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I'm really excited to talk to you. The music from Daisy Jones has been everywhere these past few months. And I'm curious because this is a show about a fictional band that you had to create during the process of making the series. How was your work as a music supervisor on this different from your previous jobs on series like A League of Their Own or The Flight Attendant or Nashville or even movies like uh, another great project you worked on that just came out, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. (laughs) In the sense that it's more pre-production than it mm. is like post-production, which is typically when a music supervisor comes on. So it's, you know, like my relationship with Denise, who was on before, you know, like I got to be on set every day. And I, as a music supervisor on most projects, you don't get to do that. Mm. And um, so this was a little bit, you know, a, a lot about the pre-production of things. And, and getting, you know, these actors into looking and feeling and playing like a real band. And, um, you know, they they all came in with varying experiences. And, uh, you know, so it, it definitely uh, was a, a fun task to kind of uh, put them through band camp. <laughs> <laughs> Which sounds like a lot of fun, but how long did it last? I'm sure it was a lot of work, too. <laughs> lot of work like you know poor Sam Claflin had to show up at like eight o'clock in the morning um you know he did like two hours of guitar then vocal lessons then we had movement lessons and then we had band practice so a lot of times you know like Sam wasn't leaving until like four o'clock or five o'clock in the afternoon and um you know so everybody had their kind of their own uh varying speeds of where they were in the process but um, we all got together after lunch and we all played as a band. And um, and that was to really kind of create uh, the camaraderie that a band actually has of kind of mm-hmm. you know, rehearsing, writing, playing together um, that, you know, most actors don't really, you know, have in their repertoire, if that makes sense. Yeah, sure. And so they're doing like all their own real playing. Yes, they are doing all their own real play. That is so cool. Yeah, you know, the one thing that I wanted to make sure that happened was, you know, knowing the in-depth of the story and and what needed to be kind of like said within their performances without saying the words, I didn't want them worrying about where their hands were on the guitar or where they were on the keys. I wanted them to worry about the acting part and um you know because that's going to help sell the story even more than just them playing if if they were sitting there looking at their hands the whole time if they wouldn't be able to kind of like you know be emotive and show you know the 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 tension and the love and all of those things that that kind of you see when they're performing which is you know feel supernatural so 
the, I wanted to drill them as much as I could into really learning the parts so that that was the last thing they needed to worry about when we were on set. Well, I mean, it shows they feel like for all the money, like a real band every time they're playing, you know, based on a book, how much of the music for those of people who haven't read the book and are just coming to the series fresh, how much of the band's music was actually in the book? And how did you go about creating a sound for the whatever lyrics you had? Well, we had told our executive music producer that, you know, we want him to have the leeway of creating what he felt was right for the band and what would be now too. You know, we wanted it to feel like 70s, but we also wanted it to be music that could stand today. So, you know, we really wanted him to have the create, allow all the creative process that he needed. So putting any kind of parameters on him as to, you know, we need a song title that's this, this, and this, and this, and the lyrics need to say this, this, and this would really stifle him. So we really wanted him to kind of like have free reign you know, as long as we were getting kind of like the emotion that the song was projected in the book, then, mm. then you know, we we knew we got what we needed. And um, and like I said, we wanted the music to also kind of be able to uh, span and feel like 70s, but also be something that you would want to hear today as well. Yeah. And well, like the music's been everywhere. So I, I think it's just succeeded. <laughs> yeah, you know, so and that and that was our goal. And, you know, it, it, it was such a it, it was a really long process. You know, um, I I was the very first one hired on mm-hmm. on on the show. And, and that was in March of 2019. And so I then put together a list of music producers. We met with music producers. They picked Blake Mills. And, um, and you know, Blake was off and running, just kind of like allowing himself, you know, a lot of time to come up with, you know, kind of the, the vibe and the sense of what Daisy Jones and the Six sounds like. You know, because when you read it, you certainly have like in your head, like, oh, I know 70s classic rock, right? You know, and I think of Fleetwood Mac and, you know, many other bands. Um, But, you know, I know that Blake took a lot of time and really trying to figure out like what Daisy Jones and the Six would would sound like. And he nailed it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, well, and of course, you mentioned the (laughs) the band, you know, Daisy Jones and the Six, very loosely based off Fleetwood Mac. So I, I was not expecting Gold Dust Woman uh, when it when it came up because <laughs> so what went into that decision how did you decide you know yes Fleetwood Mac is real in the world of the show general we kind of really in our head said really Fleetwood Mac was kind of off the table we we didn't want to have that comparison and um, you know, and, and you know, but we also had the goal of really representing this band, Daisy Jones and the Six, within the world of what was happening during the that time period. And you know, there's a lot of times where you just kind of go, "Well, I just, you know, I'm sorry." It's you know, we have to have this song. We have to have 
And the, the spookiness of a gold dust woman and the way that the opening of that episode is, it just kind of added to the hauntingness of her mood um, and, and really kind of like what was going to happen next. And it definitely, I think, was a surprise to the editor. It was a, a surprise to Scott. It was a surprise to me. I, you know, we we all kind of were like, there's no way. And then all of a sudden, you know, it got put in and it's like, well, OK, I guess it kind of works. Yeah. You can't deny it, you know, you just sometimes you just can't deny things. These magic moments that happen. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, when you're, and you're thinking about the real world songs that you're using to soundtrack the series, how many of them were noted like in the script stage versus how many of them were you like, now this is the song I'm thinking of like, you know, love is the drug is a perfect opener for that sequence in episode five. Not scripted. Yeah. That were scripted. Like obviously like the Barry Manilow was scripted because they're talking about Barry Manilow. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, there were certain songs that were kind of where they were talked about were you know like the um i mean even we had songs scripted in the scene where billy and daisy are at teddy's house and they're listening to songs um you know those we had something scripted we changed it before we shot it um and and we you know we picked those songs before we ended up shooting the, that scene just to kind of you know obviously make sure that we could get those songs and to be able to allow them to sing along with, uh, I think it was the, uh, in, in your room, the Beach Boy song. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, but, but all the rest were things like I had just made, like, you know, Scott and I talked about, you know, we wanted to show that there wasn't just classic rock and that these people weren't living within like a classic rock world. So we, you know, we found seventies AM pop. We found, punk the beginning of punk we um you know there's one of my all-time favorite songs in the whole entire world um this tammy wynette song that uh my family used to lift listen to the tammy wynette record all every christmas i still do and one happy christmas i just kind of was like it's the video where this time and they're showing the video of them like opening presents and stuff like that and um i was like oh my god but we even tried an elvis song in there um, but we, you know, it's like, it's those kinds of things that, uh, really represent the seventies and we wanted to represent the seventies and, and everything that was going on during that time period, because I mean, I don't know, I love all seventies music. I don't care if it's Barry Manilow to, you know, love is a drug or, Amen. And, or, you know, so, um, you know, we really wanted to show the gamut of how great the music was in the seventies and that it. It wasn't about a single. It was about the record. It was about a listening mm-hmm. pro- uh, process of an entire album. Yeah. Were there any songs that you wanted to use but had difficulty getting the rights? So we, um, in the scene where uh, it's Nikki and Daisy are just just balls to the wall, getting high, you know, <laughs> Again, dancing in the hotel room, jumping up and down on the bed. Um, 
it's it's kind of like right before her overdose yes yeah um we initially had uh elo in there Ooh. and because of the drugs they mm. denied us then i was like all right i had been kind of um talking to uh warner chapel regarding led zeppelin because obviously i had to have i felt like you know you got to have led zeppelin in this right and um so i reached out to them i said here's what i'm thinking um you know i it doesn't need to be a big hit it can be just anything that's on any you send me what you think you can get approved basically and I ended up finding a song and we cut it in, we showed it to the band and then they denied us. <laughs> so, oh no. The ELO worked great in that scene too. The Led Zeppelin worked great in that scene. I then like kind of like, I started like, I made like another playlist. I then called people ahead of time. Would you turn this down? <laughs> because they're doing drugs. And um, so we ended up with uh, the jam in there. Mm-hmm. And it worked so great. It worked yeah. so great. I mean, so many songs work great in that scene, but I, you know, it's, it, it's, it, you know, you, you never know when people are going to say yes and no. Right. Yeah. And I knew that the drug thing was going to be a sticky situation. So, I, you know, at my final attempt was to make calls ahead of time. <laughs> <laughs> Prepare yourself as much as possible. I like it. This one, don't cut it in and get fall in love with it. And, uh, you know, until you know for sure that they <laughs> might be yes. <laughs> well, as we we're approaching the end of our time together, I, I had to ask about um, the character of Simone and her songs, <laughs> these proto-disco club tracks, which are amazing. I read somewhere that these were the last songs that were created for the series. And I'm wondering if that was because these songs were more difficult to get done. And if so, why that was? It really was because of the schedule. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like I, like Denise had said, like all of the New York scenes were shot in Greece. So we knew that was our final um, shot. Um, and we had to get Nabia in before, obviously, she was going to Greece to come in to sing. And, um, you know, so it, it just those just kind of got backburnered until, um, you know, until we really needed them. But I have to say there was a ton of research that went into talking to Blake about, you know, sending him examples, sending, you know, uh, like, hey, we want it to feel like this. We're kind of thinking like this. You know, there was there was only so many, um, you know, we know all of the Donna Summers and the, you know, the late 70s. Mm-hmm. She was like, you know, Simone's character was the pioneer. And so I had set up conversations with um, really early disco artists um, with the with the writer's room, just kind of like talking about the character um, we talked a lot about, um, you know, just how different the music was in the early 70s versus what the later 70s disco was like. So there was a lot of research that kind of went into what Simone was going to sound like. And, you know, and I I love that because I didn't want her character to be kind of 
a feeling like it was, oh, let's just do disco music, you know, like, you know, the, we wanted to put as much time into her music um, as, as we did, uh, you know, the, for Daisy Jones. And um, so, so it really was just a scheduling thing and that, you know, we, but there was a ton of research done prior to him actually creating those songs. Yeah. And, you know, it all creates this canvas of music in the 70s this painting and you really captured it it's very cool thank you so much for joining us and talking with us about the music in the series before we go i have to ask you like i asked denise choose amongst your children which song from the six is your favorite probably the river my friend Lexi will be very happy with that. That's also hers. <laughs> it's just, I dance to every single one. Um, but the just the feel of that 12 string, just, I don't know what yeah. that is. That's something that's kind of gets me going. Um, and I, I, I love the way that they perform that song. I, yeah. you know, yeah. It was intense for them. I know it was really intense for them. So maybe so maybe that adds to my uh, my why I liked it like it so much. <laughs> I love well, all of them. I mean, I've heard them it's, a million times at this point. It's you know, it's a classic record, no skips. Exactly. We, we, we love that, and I'm sure that's what you were going for. That's what any band would go for, right? Sure. You know, we even worked out like you know this the how the the album would flow from you know side A to side B. All of that was there was thought put into it. <laughs> I love it. And thank you again, Frankie, so much for joining us today. Thank you, Daniel. So appreciate you. Yay. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Dan Baer's interview with Suki Waterhouse, the costume designer, Denise Wingate, and the music supervisor, Frankie Pine, for Daisy Jones and the Six here on the Next Best Picture podcast. Daisy Jones and the Six is now available to stream on Amazon Prime Video and is up for your consideration for this year's Emmy Awards in all eligible categories. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and we are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. You can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support. Which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening as always, and we will see you all next time. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, 
and the monsters from The Misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.